You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we are going to be reflecting on Arsenal's 3-0 win over AFC Wimbledon in the Carabao Cup third round. Now, apologies for our live viewers uh, at how late this podcast is coming to you, but I literally walked in uh, through the front door from Emirates Stadium at about quarter past 11. So I've literally had 15 minutes to set this up, jump on. Could have done it in the morning, but I did want to do it straight away because I realise a lot of you didn't get the opportunity to watch the game tonight. Um, And so let me touch on a little bit about what happened. Let me give you guys some insight as to how the game unfolded. Talk about some of the performances. I know some of you in the chat are saying that you were at the game, which is fantastic. Uh, I'll be interested to see uh, if you guys uh, agree with some of the points I was going to say, or I am going to say. Chris Mossing says, uh, where is it? Thought you were doing it from the stadium. So no word of a lie. And I'll show you guys right now on my phone. As soon as the game finished, I stayed in my seat. Here it is. And I recorded a video, a video to put up on the channel right at full time. So literally final whistle went, waited about five, six minutes for people to kind of clear out from the stadium uh, because I hate one thing I hate when I'm doing a video from the stadium is people staring at me while I'm doing it. So I wanted to get rid of them, Um, done the video and then it was taking ages to upload. Now, I think the reason it was taking ages to upload is because I've got the HDR setting on my iPhone, which means that my recordings come out in HD, but then when you're trying to do them on 4G, 5G signal, when you're walking back to the car, it takes ages. And by by the time I got to the car, it was still hardly loaded, and I thought, screw it, you know, I'll just get home. Um, some of you asking, have I watched the game? Yes, I have, I was at the game. That's why this show, as I say, is coming to you guys so late. Uh, but as I say, wanted to get this out tonight. Uh, and for some of our listeners overseas, it's not as late as it is here in the UK. So I'm sure uh, it's probably a better time for you than what the time is that we normally do the shows. So let's uh, let's get into it then. Uh, and then let's start with the, the reason that the game was not televised, okay? Because I had a load of DMs from people today and a load of WhatsApp messages from friends and family, people saying, Where's the game being televised? Where can I watch it? How can I stream it? Well, the reason you couldn't find the stream is because it wasn't televised. Now, any stream that you pick up, legal or illegal, is off the back of a legal broadcast, right? That's what these people do. They they get a legal broadcast and they show it um, or they stream it out to another audience who obviously aren't paying for it, etc., etc. And we won't go into the legalities of it, but those streams stem from legal broadcasts. But there was no legal broadcast for today's game. Now, this is why. In my opinion, well, no, it's not in my opinion. This is fact. The Carabao Cup rights, TV rights here in the UK, belong to Sky Sports. And Sky Sports simply didn't pick that game. 
Now, it's not uncommon for a game in England to not be televised. No 3pm game in the Premier League here in the UK is televised. I know for our overseas viewers and listeners, it's different. They get access to all of those games. But here in the UK, there is a blackout at 3pm on Saturdays and therefore those games are not shown. So for us here in the UK, for a game not to be televised is not completely unusual. What is unusual is not being able to find a stream or some other alternative method of watching it. But look, if you take your Arsenal hat off for a second and look at some of the games that took place tonight, Manchester United versus West Ham, Chelsea versus Aston Villa, Wolves versus Tottenham, just to name a few, there were better games for the TV companies to select. And, and it's as simple as that. You know, sometimes that will happen. And I understand the frustration and I understand the disappointment in not being able to see it. But it is what it is. You know, it's, it's just the way it works. And I've seen a lot of people and I've even had people telling me, you know, Arsenal should have streamed the game. Why didn't Arsenal stream it? Well, the fact is Arsenal don't own the broadcast rights to this competition. Therefore, they're not allowed to stream it. You know, that's that's the that's the issue here. It's not that Arsenal didn't want it to be televised. It's not that they didn't want people to see it. Unfortunately, it didn't get picked as one of the selections for the TV. And um, and there you go. You know, it is what it is. Frustrating, I know. Um, but what was great was to see 50-odd thousand supporters in the stadium tonight. It was fantastic because I didn't expect a crowd like that. I was taken aback a little bit when I heard yesterday that they'd sold so many tickets. And it was great to see um, lots of Arsenal fans there in full voice. A lot of um, unfamiliar faces, as I said there would be, which is also great because you. I talk about the overspill. Remember, I was talking about the overspill of fans and that is fans who want tickets but maybe can't go for whatever reasons maybe it's because they they can't get access to those tickets maybe it's because of family commitments maybe because it's of financial reasons but great to see lots of different faces there as well which shows that if we can see so many different faces and still sell out 50,000 tickets then it just shows you what a huge football club this is and it's fantastic. A few of you mentioned it on Twitter uh, in the comments about the guy that was streaming it from his phone in the stadium. Mad, um, mad, but fair play to the guy. I don't think it lasted the whole 90 minutes from what I've been told. I'm sure his battery would have run out uh, by that time, but great to see someone using their initiative. And I heard at one point there was around about 20K people watching, which is phenomenal. Uh, big shout out to Harris, who uh, went today his first ever game. Um, and that's fantastic. Hope you enjoyed it, mate. Uh, and a, a big hello to everybody watching us in the live chat right now. There's too many of you uh, to go through individually. So let's get on with dissecting the game. Now, all the talk in the lead up to the game was around Charlie Patino. Would Charlie Patino be given the opportunity? Would he get minutes in this Carabao Cup tie against AFC Wimbledon? And guess what? He wasn't even in the squad. I've read some quotes from Mikel Arteta on my way home. Haven't seen the full press conference yet at the time of recording, but he said that Charlie Patino was close, was considered, but um, he was just a little bit short in terms of getting ahead of some of those players that did feature, that were needed, um, that were needed, sorry, or that needed the minutes. You can tell it's late because I'm muddling up all my words. I'm shattered. And you know what the worst thing about it is? I know I'm going to go in the house and have a screaming child uh, wake me up at least three times in the night. God help me. But anyway, let's start with the team then that Mikel Arteta selected. And Bern Leno returned in between the sticks. It was a back four, as predicted, of Cedric, Holding, Marie 
and Tavarish. Uh, in midfield, I went with Maitland-Niles and Lekonga. I didn't think Thomas Partey would play, though. So we're surprised to see Thomas Partey in the side. Martinelli was included just behind Alexander Lacazette, as was Eddie and Ketia, And that made up the starting eleven. Thomas Partey played 60 minutes. And when I saw his name in the squad, my initial, or in the team, sorry, in the starting lineup, my initial thought was Mikel. Why? Oh, why are you taking this huge gamble? But actually, it makes sense. You know, Thomas Partey has looked quite short of fitness in, in the early weeks of the season where we know he's been unfit. Returned, didn't he, to play against Burnley. I thought he did well against Burnley, but obviously ran out of steam, started cramping towards the end. And I guess in Mikel Arteta's eyes and maybe in Thomas Partey's eyes, he just needed a little bit more in terms of fitness. So to get another 60 minutes under his belt uh, was obviously a positive in the end. There is that risk of him getting injured, of him picking up a knock, but he didn't. So uh, it's great to see Thomas Partey uh, taking to the field and, and building those minutes up. Uh, ahead of what's going to be a huge game come the weekend. Uh, other surprise selections, as I mentioned, uh, Eddie Nketiah, I didn't think he'd play from the left-hand side, scored a brilliant goal, which we'll come on to a little bit later on. Um, and and I guess other than that, you know, it's pretty much as expected. Now, I predicted a 3-0 uh, a Arsenal win, so I'm on fire with my predictions. There's two out of two in the last couple of games. Uh, so we'll take it. Apparently, according to some of you guys, Thomas Partey asked to play, um, which is fantastic if he did, because that means that he himself recognises that he's not at the level yet that he needs to be at, that fitness-wise he's just lacking a little bit and that he needs to be on top of his game if he's going to really help this side out as we move forward. So starting with the first half, I thought it was it was very typical of what we've seen from Arsenal under Mikel Arteta in so many games. You know, that... Lots of neat passing at the back, progressing the ball into the midfield and then not really having much in terms of ideas after that. Now, remember, you've got to take into consideration this is a very disjointed Arsenal team. It was a much changed Arsenal team and one that won't have played together all that much. You're talking about changing the entire back four, the goalkeeper, uh, two thirds of the midfield. You're talking about uh, a completely different front line to what we've seen in the Premier League so far this season. So there was always going to be that element of maybe uh, the team looking a little bit disjointed and, and a lack of cohesion. And I certainly thought we saw that in the first half. Obviously, Arsenal won the penalty. And once they broke the deadlock, then... Um, it was, it was always going to be an uphill task for AFC Wimbledon. It was Alexander Lacazette who converted the penalty after 11 minutes. But it was really good work in the build-up from Gabriel Martinelli to get into the penalty area and and pull or, or draw the foul out of the AFC Wimbledon defender. Now, I'm going to be doing an episode tomorrow specifically on Gabriel Martinelli. I spoke about him earlier on. I talked about him being someone that I really wanted to pay attention to tonight. And I feel like I did that. Did a bit of a player cam, if you like, on Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, and that episode is going to be dropping at some point on Thursday, Thursday afternoon. So really looking forward to doing that. Because as I say, watched him really closely. And I thought, especially in the first half, he gave us a lot of energy. There was a lot of work rate. There was a lot of determination. There was a lot of desire. And you know that Gabriel Martinelli is, is someone who won't be happy with his current role in the squad. He won't be happy with the fact that he is very much on the peripheries. And I talked about the importance of this type of fixture for somebody like that. Somebody looking to break into the team. He needs to take those opportunities. Did he take it completely tonight? I don't think he did. 
I don't think he was amazing, but it wasn't for a lack of trying. And when you consider how the rest of the team played for the most part, I don't think you can be too harsh on Gabriel Martinelli off the back of this evening's display. Um, so, yeah, uh, let me just quickly, uh, before we continue, uh, Daniel Hartley says, you must have watched the game then, Harry, the way you've analysed the game. Why didn't you share the link? I was in the stadium. <laughs> I couldn't share the link to the stadium. Uh, but anyway, um, so that was my kind of take on, on Gabriel Martinelli's performance. And then, of course, Arsenal, I thought, were really laboured after that. You know, we went into halftime, we had eight attempts at goal, uh, most of which were block shots from Nuno Tavares trying to score from crazy places. Uh, and then, of course, yeah, halftime, just the one shot on target, which wasn't inspiring. I went into halftime feeling like this was kind of just typical Arsenal in terms of what we've seen under Mikel Arteta. Look pretty neat and tidy at the back, take the ball to a certain point. And then there's a lack of ideas. We couldn't get the ball into Alexander Lacazette for people to play off of him. We weren't having much joy from Martinelli trying to, uh, you know, apart from when he drifted into the box on a couple of occasions, he wasn't, although he was buzzing around the pitch and being very energetic and very committed, he never really uh, penetrated that AFC Wimbledon backline often enough. I thought the same could be said on the other side for Eddie Nketiah, who just didn't look comfortable playing in that slightly inside left row, I've got to be honest. And again, it was very much the same old Arsenal in terms of pushing the left back on and looking to create overloads from that particular player, which suggests, doesn't it, that it is a system thing. I think we've we've established that in time, but there have always been people who think that it's because Arsenal don't have the players on the right-hand side, when actually I would argue that Cedric is actually okay at getting forward and at least getting into the positions, even if he doesn't always produce the final product. But it's very clear the strategy at Arsenal is to use the left-back to create that overload time and time again with the left-forward tucking in field, the way Eddie Nketiah was, and Nuno Tavares was very, very key in anything good that Arsenal did in an attacking sense. Now, Mikel Arteta made some substitutions in the second half. He took, as I mentioned, Thomas Partey off on the 60th minute mark and brought Emil Smith-Rowe on. Now, that meant that Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who was playing as the most advanced of the midfield trio, then dropped into a slightly deeper position. And I've got to say, I was a little bit alarmed by Ainsley Maitland-Niles' performance tonight. Now, Arsenal won the game comprehensively in the end, comfortably in the end. And I know you should look at the positives, and I, and I will, because there are a lot of positives, again, to take from this one. But just on Ainsley Maitland-Niles, I was disappointed by his performance, I've got to say. Because what I don't want to see from my deeper-lying midfield players is a sloppiness on the ball, a casualness on the ball that puts us into dangerous situations. Now, Ainsley Maitland-Niles was dispossessed two or three times in the second half, 15, 20 yards from the edge of his penalty area. And you just can't do that. Not when it's because you're dilly-dallying on the ball. And you're playing against AFC Wimbledon tonight. Unfortunately, he wasn't punished. And there was one where, to be fair to him, he did lose it, but he, he showed some great recovery pace to get back and win the ball back quickly. But for me, you can't afford to make those kind of mistakes. And if you make those mistakes in the Premier League against, with all due respect to AFC Wimbledon, stronger opposition, you will be made to pay. So... I wasn't best pleased with Ainsley Maitland-Niles tonight, I've got to say. And, you know, just when I looked at him against Burnley and thought, 
you know, maybe he can do a job in the centre of midfield tonight. He showed me again in my, well, this is just my personal view. Actually, he's not really up to it. And if he wants to be a central midfielder, he's probably going to have to accept that, you know, he's going to be a fringe player. If he wants to play as a fullback, which I think suits him better, then I believe he can go on and have a better career. But Ainsley Metternals clearly doesn't want that. He clearly wants to play in the middle of the park. I just don't think he's cut out for it. Arsenal added their second goal um, with just 13 minutes to go. And Arsenal, in the build-up to this goal, I have to say, really did overplay it because the ball came to Emil Smith-Rowe, who I thought should have had a shot the first time from inside the penalty area. Instead, he tried to find Lacazette. And when the ball ricocheted back into the middle, Emil Smith-Rowe was the quickest to react. Now, again, temper everything we're saying with the level of the opposition, but I've talked repeatedly about how important it is that Emil Smith-Rowe and Bukayo Saka add more goals to their game. If Arsenal are going to push on to challenge for the European places and heavily rely on these two young lads, then they've got to produce more in front of goal. So in, in that instance, it was, or in that case, it was great to see Emil Smith-Rowe getting into those positions, getting deep into the penalty area, kind of been far from the edge of the six-yard box when he... Uh, shot towards goal. It wasn't an emphatic finish. It kind of sort of squirmed through the defence and over the line. But, you know, it's a goal. And, and Emil Smith-Rowe being in those positions is obviously a positive. But I think the real difference maker and the catalyst for that second goal was Bukayo Saka. He came on and with his first couple of touches, he set off a counter-attack, which ultimately led to that goal. And I've got to say, on Bukayo Saka, we've talked a lot about him looking fatigued, under par, not quite at his absolute best. Tonight, this was the sharpest I've seen Bukayo Saka look in months. I've got to be honest. He was gliding past players. He was taking people on. He was brave. He was direct. And when he got into dangerous areas, he was more than willing to cut inside and have a shot. And he bent one just wide as well, right at the end of the game. So really encouraging to see uh, Bukayo Saka looking sharp again. And then, of course, came Arsenal's third goal just three minutes later, and it was converted by Eddie Nketiah. Now, I've talked a lot about Eddie Nketiah's situation at Arsenal. The fact that he's not signed a new contract, the fact that he rejected a move uh, to Crystal Palace because he didn't want to take a wage cut or didn't accept or didn't feel what they were offering was fair. And I criticised him for that because that shows a lack of ambition to me. You clearly don't want to stay at Arsenal for the long term because you would have signed a contract if you did. You then feel that you're better than Crystal Palace, which I don't think he is at this point in his career. And so to me, it looks like a player who's probably more than likely being badly advised. Um, and I just, in my mind, I've written Eddie Nketiah out of Arsenal's future because I don't see him being here for the long term. But credit where credit's due when Cedric cut the ball back to him and he made the run across the penalty area into that near post area. He produced a wonderful flick in towards the far corner. It's a brilliant finish uh, from Eddie Nketiah. And if only he could produce that a little bit more frequently, uh, then then we'd have a really good player on our hands. But yeah, um, that's kind of my thoughts and, and sums up my my chat on Eddie Nketiah. Uh, another player I want to, or another couple of players I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about Sambi Lakonga again. Looked like he'd been playing in that midfield for years. Really, really comfortable. Great at receiving the ball on the half turn. P 
playing one-touch passes, keeping the ball moving, keeping the game flowing and ticking. I thought he was really, really good. Uh, there was a couple of occasions where he needed to show some physicality, needed to put his body in the way uh, between a Wimbledon player and the ball. And listen, AFC Wimbledon technically are not an elite side, okay? Technically, they are, you know, they are at a very different level to Arsenal. You know, that's not being disrespectful, that's being truthful. But what they are is a very physical side. They had some absolute lumps in that team, I've got to say. Um, they were really, really physical when they wanted to be. And so to see some of our players stand up to these guys was was really positive. They had a couple of big, uh, big forwards um, in Palmer, uh, I think it was Presley that came off the bench. They posed some physical challenges, but again, Arsenal stood up to them. I don't think the defence really put a foot wrong tonight, if I'm going to be honest. I, I, this was the thing. We were only 1-0 up, and it felt like this was one of those games where any moment now, we were going to concede a stupid goal, and it was going to get forced to go to penalty kicks. But now that you kind of look back on it, and you're not in the stadium and nervous at the time, you feel as though actually... Wimbledon didn't offer anything as in terms of as an attack and they really really didn't you know they were really toothless um, partly down to Arsenal defending very well but also partly down to the fact that um, you know that, that they just weren't good enough the other player I really wanted to talk about is uh, is Nuno Tavares because for me Nuno Tavares was was quite impressive tonight I gotta say I was saying to my mate who I was watching the game with um Nuno Tavares is the type of player that would have been the Arsene Wenger in his early years at Arsenal's dream. What do I mean by that? He's physical, he's raw, he's direct, he's got pace, he's got strength. He's got all of those things. He's got He's brave. He's got a desire to get forward. He's very confident in his own ability. He takes shots from everywhere and anywhere. Always wants to take players on. Sometimes probably should release the ball a little bit earlier when he gets into those positions on the left-hand side. But instead, he wants to cut inside. He wants to take people on. He really wants to, um, you know, make things happen. But he's still a little bit rough around the edges. That's how I would explain or discuss or describe Nuno Tavares to fans that didn't see the game tonight. I talked about us concentrating our game down that left-hand side and we, and we did that again and Nuno Tavares's directness was actually one of the better parts of Arsenal's game tonight the fact that we could get the ball out to that flank and we knew he'd always be there and you knew he'd always try it at least and make something happen was really good to see is he Kirantini level at the moment um I don't think in terms of what he produces when he gets into that final third he's at Kirantini's level but what he is um Above Kieran Tierney on is, is the physical attributes. I think he's quicker. I think he's stronger. I think he's more, uh, he's got more stamina. I think that over the course of the season, whether you want it or not, you're going to see a lot more of Nuno Tavares. Partly because I feel like he will force his way into the reckoning if he continues in that vein. But also because Kieran Tierney is likely to. Uh, you know, is likely to pick up injuries, is likely to break down. And, and so it is what it is. But uh, Christoph makes a great point. And this is kind of my thinking exactly. I think you've summed it up brilliantly. He might surpass KT simply in his ability to stay on the pitch. Completely agree. Wasn't overly impressed tonight 
with Alexander Lacazette, i got to say, obviously converted the penalty, played a part uh, in the lead up to the second goal, but it wasn't his best performance in an Arsenal shirt. And, you know, he looks like someone that's not really sure, um, you know, what the future holds for him and what his role is in this team. And, you know, I don't, I don't question his attitude. I've never questioned that about Alexander Lacazette, but he, he struggled to link up play tonight, which is something that he's normally really good at. And also didn't get many opportunities himself. And you're looking at him and you're saying, well, we accept that Laka normally, I know he did last season, but normally doesn't score as many goals as Aubameyang. But you take that because of the fact that he brings other things to the game. And he didn't bring those things to the game tonight. I didn't feel anyway. Uh, a couple of nice flicks, a couple of nice touches, but he wasn't doing it consistently throughout the 90 minutes. And so for me, um, I, I can understand why Mikel has gone with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in the Premier League and why he'll probably continue to do that. So what were the positives from tonight then? To, to kind of summarise it, to make a little bit of a checklist as to what was positive tonight. Arsenal scored three goals. Arsenal kept a clean sheet. Uh, Thomas Partey got an hour without picking up any injury, without picking up any problem, and will be in a better place for it going into the North London derby. Nuno Tavares got another opportunity to show what he could do. Emile Smith-Rowe got on the score sheet. Sambi Laconga played another game in England as he continues to acclimatise to our game here. Bukayo Saka, as I say, looked as sharp as I've seen him look in months. And, I, and Arsenal are through to the next round of the Carabao Cup, the fourth round where we will face Leeds United. I'm not going to lie. I fancy the Leeds away. I'm not going to lie. Um, but unfortunately, the draw didn't come out that way. Well, I say unfortunately, we stand greater chance of progressing this way, surely. You know, and, and if we're going to get 50 odd thousand fans in the stadium again, that'll be pretty electric because, you know, Leeds will bring their share. And, and if we can get 50k in, with all due respect to AFC Wimbledon for a game like that, then I'm sure we'll have no interest, uh, no issues, sorry, in doing that when Leeds United come to town. So that's my kind of roundup of the game tonight. Um, you know, not a great deal happened between Arsenal opening the scoring and then adding a second on 77 minutes. So there was a good, what, 66 minutes of football that were, were pretty uninspiring, pretty drab, pretty disappointing, pretty boring, to be honest. But the atmosphere was good. The um, the support was great. The team, even when it wasn't always going their way, I thought always looked committed. And I think this commitment thing is something that we've seen in the last three games that we hadn't seen previously. You know, I, I used to come away from games questioning whether some of these players wanted it, whether they actually... Uh, cared about what the result was and the outcome. I'm not going to say whether they cared or not, but if they cared enough, I think they did, though. Um, I think they have. And I think that's part of that's partly because Mikel Arteta has been able to weed out a lot of these bad characters. And that's taken time and it's been frustrating and it's been a bumpy road up until now. And there will still be more bumps and Arsenal uh, are still a long way from getting to where we need to be. But the whole feeling around the club right now just feels a lot more positive to me. In the stadium, there's a much more positive vibe. You don't get that moaning and groaning. You don't get, um, you don't seem to get that toxic atmosphere, which is pleasantly surprising given where where we finished last season and how things went at the start of this one. So that's all positive. And uh, we move on to the next round. And now 
we can focus all our attentions on the North London Derby. We'll be bringing you lots of preview content around that. And as I say, we'll be bringing you that special episode tomorrow on Gabrielle Martinelli. Hope you've enjoyed the roundup. Sorry, it's not as long as the usual shows, but I've got to be honest, I am knackered. I am shattered. It is midnight here in the UK. Just got back from the stadium. Literally jumped on here to bring you guys a bit of a roundup, a bit of a, a download from what uh, took place at Emirates Stadium last night. And I wanted to do it tonight because I knew a lot of you didn't get the opportunity to see the game. Hope you've enjoyed it. Hope you liked it. If you did like it, if you did enjoy it, make sure you smash the like button because that really, really does help. In fact, let's check in where we are uh, right now in terms uh, of likes. Uh, whoops, clicking on the wrong bloody stream there. Let's see where we are in terms of the likes. And then, um, so we've got over 400 of you watching us right now across the multiple platforms, but we have only got 70 likes on the board. Come on, we can get that over 100 at least. Surely we can get it to as close to 150 as possible. It shouldn't be a problem. Um, make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new. If you want to become a member and support me to bring you more Arsenal and football-related content, you can do so by clicking the join button below or the link in your description. As Jimmy the Greek says in the chat, if you hate Tottenham, hit the like button. Uh, big thank you to all of you for all your thank yous. Uh, really appreciate you guys uh, sticking with me uh, at this time of night uh, and jumping onto the stream. I'll be back tomorrow, as I say, with more Arsenal-related content. Come join us on 90 Min as well for the live fans preview for the weekend, where we will, of course, be talking about the... Um, We'll be talking about the North London Derby, which takes place this weekend. Right, I'll uh, catch you all soon. I'm going to hit the sack until tomorrow. Take care. Ciao. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.